today. Uh, I'm sharing with you out of Mark chapter 11. We're going to look at really towards the end of the chapter, but but really what this chapter deals with it has to do with, with all of what's going on in chapter 11. First of all, if you look at, at the beginning of chapter 11, you'll see that, that this chapter basically is the time in which Jesus has gone into Jerusalem. He's, he's preparing for His last days in ministry on this earth. He's gone in and, and all the people have really greeted Him as uh, the coming Messiah. They've uh, put out the palm fronds. They, uh, because he's coming in, he's riding on a, on a small uh, uh, donkey, and he's uh, showing all the signs of of what they envisioned to be the Messiah, someone who's coming in as a conquering king. And the donkey, especially, uh, relates to a conquering king. This was what the king would ride in whenever the ar- uh, whenever a, a conquering army would go into a, an area. Uh, the army would march in as a show of force, and as a show of force as well, the the uh, the king would ride in on a, a small colt or a, a donkey, and and we think, you know, why would anybody that is in authority ride a donkey? I mean, we think of presidents and kings today's, uh, and like Queen of England, they all ride in these fancy cars, a Bentley or a. Uh, limousines, uh, that kind of thing. They, they ride in in style, and and yet, why would a king ride in on a donkey? But it symbolizes the fact that the power and authority of that individual. Uh, he's not having to come in 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 the force and might of the army. He's coming in on something as timid and as reliable as a donkey. So he's able to, or a young colt, he's not having to come in on a white stallion or ready for battle. He's not coming in, uh, in today's terms, in a, in a tank. He's not coming in on, in an aircraft carrier or anything like that. He's coming in, uh, those would be metaphors of what, a king or a, a conquering individual would come in today. You know, we back in the 1940s when Hitler took Paris, uh, those of you who might remember the newsreels or seeing what happened, uh, he came in and, and uh, this conquering army went down the Champs-Élysées and he went through the Arc de Triomphe in a show of might and force uh, to to show intimidation towards the people of France, showing his ability to conquer the nation and conquer the, the country. And and that is something that is, uh, that is seen in conquering generals for eons. And so for Jesus to come in on a, on a, on a donkey or a colt, it, it symbolizes the same kind of of thing of a conquering king coming in. But Jesus, of course, didn't come in to conquer uh, the Roman Empire, to overthrow anyone. He came in as a suffering servant. He came in to, to offer himself as a sacrifice. Well, as Jesus comes in, he makes his way to the temple in order to pray, uh, to worship and to spend time there at the temple. And what he sees there is, is a, a temple that is filled with all kinds of things that are, are distracting to worship. Uh, there's people changing money. There's people uh, uh, selling uh, appropriate. And, and what would happen is, is people would, would travel from all over Israel to come to Jerusalem and they would bring their, 
uh, with them a sacrifice to uh, offer on the altar there. And the problem was is the ability to transport that sacrifice. It wasn't always easy. So what they would do is they would allow these people to come and to purchase a sacrifice that was, uh, cert- uh, we would say in terms of today, certified appropriate for sacrifice. You don't want to get to the the, the altar and re- after traveling all the way, you know, uh, maybe a hundred miles by foot in order to get to the temple there and to find out once you get there at the temple that your sacrifice isn't worthy to be uh, placed on the altar. So uh, those enterprising individuals who ran the, the temple, they, they set up stalls for the people to buy different sacrifices. And of course, they gave an offering and the reason they needed money changers was because they had to change their uh, their their currency into a currency that could be given in the temple, and uh, they didn't uh, they didn't accept just anything from all over the Roman Empire to be uh, given as an offering. They uh, so uh, again that's why the there were money changers there. And Jesus comes into the temple and he sees that uh, there's all these things that are distracting people from uh, their experience of being. With with God, instead of being a house of prayer, he said uh, he he finds all of these things going on, and and you have to remember the timing of when this is. Jesus didn't come in at the beginning of his ministry and see all this. He sees this towards the end of his ministry when he's about to go to the 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 cross, and Jesus sees all of this stuff that's in the way, and and I, I tend to to ask the question when I read through this in my own mind, what would Jesus find if He came into our place of worship today? Would He find stuff that is distracting from the worship of God or would He find people that are able to come in and, and experience the holiness of God, experience the, the very presence of God? Are the things that we do in our worship distracting us from uh, from worshiping God and serving God? Uh, you know, we, we often think about God doing this for us and doing that for us. We sit down and pray and we, we say we want God to do this, uh, help this person that's in need, and help that person that's in need. And certainly those are things we need to offer up to God, but those aren't the only things that we pray about. And and we ought to be praying and worship to God, praying and 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 seeking to get close to God. And Jesus is coming in and he and to, uh, as he is coming into Jerusalem to do all of this, he he uh, is between Bethany and Jerusalem, and he in, he gets to hungry in his physical earthly self, and he comes across a fig tree, mm-hmm. and you find this uh, towards the middle of the chapter, and he or uh, and Jesus. Uh, sees in verse 11 he says and Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple and he went and looked around about upon all things and now the evening tide was come and he went out unto Bethany with the twelve so they're not staying in Jerusalem uh, while they're in that area they go out to Bethany and it says in the morrow uh, when they were come from Bethany he was hungry and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves he came uh, if happily he might find anything thereupon uh, and when he came he found nothing but leaves for the time of the figs were not yet and uh, Jesus answered and said unto it no man 
uh, eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. So Jesus curses the fig tree because he does not find any figs on the fig tree. Now you might be saying, how's this? And this isn't where we're going to focus on, but it's part of the whole uh, understanding of what's going on. So Jesus curses the fig tree because of the fact that he doesn't find any figs on it. And then he keeps on going into Jerusalem. And uh, uh, that's when he sees uh, the temple being over, uh, uh, just glutted with all the stuff that's going on. And he comes back and he can't take it any longer. And he, he turns over the tables and he, uh, he just gets all upset. And uh, in verse 17 it says, it is, it is is it not written, My house shall be a house of uh, prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And so Jesus uh, comes in and cleanses the temple and He uh, begins to, uh, and He leaves the temple and uh, He makes His way back out towards uh, Bethany and, and He uh, comes out upon that tree once again in verse 20 and in the morning as they passed by they saw the fig tree and it was dried up from its roots and Peter called into remembrance saith unto him master behold the fig tree which thou cursedest is withered away so what's happened is this fig tree is no longer uh, full of leaves and vibrant but rather it's it's just within a day it's just just shriveled up and ready to to, uh, fall away I think this is a metaphor for the condition of the church. Jesus is seeing that the church is... Uh, he's, he comes in and He looks in Jerusalem and He sees all the things that are going on and He expects there to be fruit in the temple. He, fe- he expects the people of God to be producing fruit and He expects the people of God to be about God's business and doing the things that God desires, which include worship, which include uh, knowing the heart of God and bringing others to God and, and sharing the, the, not just the tradition of what it means to be a part of the people of Israel and to go to the temple, but to share the message, the plan of God. And that's really our our task to this day in this church is to is to not just go about the formality of, of coming to Sunday school, coming to worship, coming at, uh, to discipleship training, coming and just he, being at, at meetings and, and listening to teaching and going home and acting as if nothing's changed. Uh, the whole task of what we're called to do here at the church is to produce fruit. And God, uh, Jesus Christ, expected the church to be producing fruit at, uh, when He went into the temple. All He saw were all these distractions, all these things that the church was doing, and it was, had nothing to do with actual worship of God. Now, the people that were doing it, they, had, uh, they felt like they had a reason to be going about doing those things, but Jesus said, look, these are all distractions. These are just taking away from all the things that you're supposed to be doing. You're not able to spend time in worship. And what he's saying is, in essence, is, is if you're not going about doing what God's called you to do, what's the sense in going? What's the sense in being there? What's the sense in having a relationship with God if you're not doing what God has called you to do? And that's my question for us today. What are we doing in God's church if we're not producing fruit? 
<laughs> if we're not going about the business that God has called us to do, if we would God uh, look upon us and see that we're nothing but leaves? Now, let me just share with you what the significance of the leaves were. Now, a fig tree would put out leaves when it's preparing to put out fruit. That's why Jesus went to the fig tree, even though it was not in season, expecting to see fruit. Why? Because there were leaves there. They, they were indications that the tree would be producing uh, fruit. And when he got there to the fig tree, all he found was nothing but leaves. He saw all these leaves that were going, uh, going like gangbusters, but no fruit. And you see, again, this is a metaphor for what the church is about today, I think. We're all about putting out leaves, making all indication that we're doing all the things we're supposed to be doing. We, we come to church and we sing the hymns. We come to church and we uh, do this and we do that. And we're making all the indications that we're healthy, that we're going about what God wants us to do. And all the while, we're not producing fruit. We're not doing a thing to reach lost souls for Jesus Christ. We're not doing a thing to help people to come to know Jesus Christ as a Savior. Follow Him in discipleship. Follow Him in baptism. All the things that Jesus Christ said that we are to be about doing. Jesus didn't tell His disciples before He left this earth, hey, when I leave, make sure you set up buildings to go and worship. Make sure you go around and you uh, stand and sit at the right time and all those things. No, He said, make disciples, teaching them all the things I've taught you, baptizing them, and, and sharing the message throughout all the earth. That's the task that we're to be about doing. And Jesus says, you, uh, said to the fruit, uh, to the fig tree, curse be unto you because you're not producing fruit. Now, uh, listen to the response that Jesus has when Peter gets amazed at the fact that, uh, that, that the, the fig tree's been withered away. And Jesus answered, said unto him, Have faith in God. Now, I, I'm not, I don't believe necessarily that Jesus is answering Peter in terms of why he's able to have cursed the tree. What I think he's really speaking to is he's speaking to the condition of the church as he's been all along here. And I, I believe that, that God is directing us to understand the solution to the fact that we have no no fruit. How do we get to be a church that's cleansed once again? How do we become a church that is doing the things that God wants of us? How do we become a church that produces fruit? How do we become believers that produce fruit? Jesus says, have faith in God. That's the answer. Have faith. Believe and trust in God. Uh, cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. He says, uh, have faith in God. And he said, look at verse 23. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed, and, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith, shall come to pass, he shall have whatever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what's, uh, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, and if you have aught uh, against any 
that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you your trespasses. Now, Jesus is saying all of this, and, it, and, and again, I don't believe that Jesus is saying, Hey, Peter, if you just simply believe in God, then you can make the, a tree wither and die. Just as much as I don't believe that Jesus is saying, Hey, uh, anytime you're out there and you're plowing a field and you got a big boulder in your your way. Hey, simply believe and God will just uh, uh, take that, that big boulder and cast it into the sea. Jesus is not necessarily... Sp- now, now, I believe truly that Jesus. what Jesus says when He says, if you have faith, you're able to tell a mountain to, to be uplifted and thrown into the sea. Most likely, the mountain that He was referring to, uh, when Jesus said this about having faith, Jesus never said anything that wasn't really there for them to see. Jesus was the master teacher. He was the man who was not only sharing the heart of God, but he was sharing it in such a way that made it very real and concrete for the people of that day. And while Jesus is standing out there outside of Jerusalem, outside of Bethany, on the road to Bethany there, the mountain that he's talking about is is no, uh, not... Uh, in any small terms, a mountain that, that we would all be familiar with, it's the Mount of Olives. Uh, that's the where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And, and Jesus points over to a mountain and He says, hey, you see that mountain over there? If you had enough faith, you'd be able to tell that mountain to go jump in the lake, go jump in the sea. And the sea that He's talking about is the Dead Sea, which is just uh, there beyond where the mountain is. And so he uh, says, hey, if you had enough faith, you could say to Mount Olive over there, go jump in the Dead Sea. Now, that's significant. What does it say at the end uh, uh, of the Bible in Revelation? When Jesus returns, what does it say that will happen? says that he'll put his uh, one foot on one part of the mountain and one foot on the other, and the mountain will be split open. So he's not saying something that is inconceivable. He said, look, he's going to split the mountain wide open when he comes back. And that's no small feat. But I think he's also saying uh, in terms of the mountain, in terms of an impediment. When you feel like your church is having obstacles, a mountain is, is an example of obstacles in our life. When Jesus says, hey, you want, you want to, your church to be, this church to be productive, to produce fruit. You want your church to be doing the things that God wants you to do. You want your church to be centered upon God and centered in doing the things God wants you to do. Jesus', expl- uh, Jesus uh, uh, remedy for that is, is to have faith in God. How is that faith uh, made manifest in? You have faith in God such as that you can remove the obstacles obstacles that's keeping you from serving God. He says, look, you need to have faith in God. And if you simply have faith in God, you can move any obstacle, (coughs) excuse me, any obstacle that gets in your way of serving God, anything that's in your life is rooted uh, that is an obstacle in, uh, in keeping you from serving God. Any uh, the remedy is related to faith and trust in God, belief that God will uh, see you through, uh, trusting in Him 
to overcome those things. We want our church to be effective. We want our church to be uh, able to produce fruit. We want our church to be able to reach people and do the things that God wants us to do. We have to first start with faith in God. Second thing he says that we have to do is related to that faith. He says, hey, if you have faith, you're able to, to make this mountain move and, and uh, go jump in the, in the ocean. But he says, um, there's something else that you need to do. Therefore, I say unto you, verse 24, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So not, not only have faith in God that He's able to do all things, but believe that He's going to uh, share those things with you. And then what verse 25 says, the second thing you need to have in your life, not only just faith, but He says, and when you stand and pray, so I, I believe that, that prayer is an integral part of faith and service to God. He says you, you need to have faith and believe in God, but then you stand and pray. You need to pray and, and communicate with God and allow God to, uh, to hear uh, your heart and allow God's heart to be implanted into your life. That's how you become more and more like God and how you have a relationship with God is through that communication through prayer. But there's, an imped uh, there's another thing that can get in the way of those prayers. What does He say? Thirdly, you not only need you not only need to have faith and believe, uh, you you need to pray, but you need to forgive. He says, and when you stand and pray, you need to forgive anyone that has anything against you. And he says, you need to pray and and forgive others so that God will be able to forgive you. Now, what's that have to do with? And does that mean that that? If I'm not forgiving of other people, that, that God's not going to hear my prayers and that God's not going to listen to my needs and, and I'm not going to be able to do the things God wants me to do. That's right. You, if, you're not, uh, if you are not forgiving towards others, the Bible tells us here, and it, look, when Jesus teaches His disciples to pray, it's right there in that model prayer as well. Uh, we need to forgive those who trespass against us so that God can forgive us. And so uh, forgiveness is a key part of this whole process. And what, what he's doing is, is what he's sharing with us is, is, is you want to have a church that's doing uh, the things that God wants, and you want to have a church that's fruitful, you want to have a fruitful life in your life, what He, in essence, is saying to you is, is you need to become more like God. You start off with belief in God, then you, uh, then you move into communication with God, then you move into forgiveness. And what is that doing? It's, not, it's, saying, it's saying to God, God, I want to have a relationship with you. That's belief in God. Then communication, that, that, that's related to discipleship, getting closer to God. And then what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is all a part of uh, sanctification. God making you more holy in your daily walk. He says, you need to forgive others so I can forgive you. What it in essence is saying is you need to have attributes that I have in my life. If, God, if you want God to forgive you, you need to, you need to become more like God. 
You need to allow. Uh, you need to have a forgiving heart because God is forgiving you, and so this is a recipe for uh, not just. It, this has gone way beyond anything to do with that fig tree, other than it is an example of the condition of the heart of the church. So he says, if you uh, don't forgive, then your Father in heaven, which uh, will not forgive your trespasses. And what's that talking about? I believe that's talking about the fact that if we're not forgiving towards others, then that's a way of, that's a sin in our life. We've got to confess that sin of unforgiveness towards God and He'll forgive us of our sin of unforgiveness and then, and then we'll also be able to uh, be in line with what God wants in our life. And so Jesus is really speaking to the whole issue of the condition of the church and it, and it relates to the condition of our home and uh, our condition of our own uh, life in our church and as well as life in our own life in our own life we've got to if we want to be the kind of people that God wants if we want to uh, pass inspection those of you who are in the military uh, you had to pass inspection from time to time. You'd line up out on the prey field and the uh, commanding officer would come by and he would inspect you and how you were standing, how you were squared away, whether or not you had everything in order. Then he would go in your barracks and he'd make sure everything was squared away, everything was like it was supposed to be. And, any, and, any time, and he might show up at your duty post and he would come by and you would inspect your duty post as well, make sure... And why was it so important to be clean? It wasn't necessarily the cleanliness. It is the dedication and the commitment to having everything just as it's supposed to be so that when it came time to, to go right, run out into the battlefield, they knew that you were following the instructions that they had given you before because if you were doing that in your daily life, Am I right? If you were doing that in your daily life in terms of, of having everything squared away on your person, in your bunk, in your duty post, then that meant that when it came time for you to go into battle, came time for you to do your task, your duty, whatever it might have been, they knew that they could count on you to have everything exactly as it should be because you had everything else squared away. And that meant they can depend on you when they placed you in a certain place in the battle. They meant that knew that meant that they knew that they didn't have to worry about you in your position and whether or not you would actually accomplish the task that you that they set before you. That's the same way with us. We have to be squared away in our daily life. We need to be squared away. It's, it, we need to have that relationship with God in such a way that God can look at us and know that when, when He brings that opportunity of ministry, that opportunity of service, that opportunity of being useful, that we're ready. Amen. That we're not just putting out all the leaves and showing that, hey, look, we're all just healthy as can be. We're just a wonderful group of people. We, we got everything spick and span before uh, the director of missions came by and, and everything looks like it's supposed to when all along we're not doing a thing that we should be doing. We need to be about doing God's service. We need to do more than just simply putting out the appearance of doing, going through the motions. That's how they, some would say it. We need to do, actually do the task that God has set before us. And so that's my challenge for you today.
Are you certain? Where, what, what is it in your life that you're keeping, is keeping you from doing what God has put before you? Might be that you have something that is unforgiven in your life. Jesus uses forgiveness here, but it relates to all sin in our life. If, if you have anything, any sin that you allow to be a part of your life, whether it's unforgiveness or, or any other immorality or any other thing, God can't use you. God can't expect you to be ready to go out into the battlefield. God can't expect you to, to produce fruit. So first we've got to get those things correct with God. We have to have faith and belief in God. We have to have a relationship with God. And prayer, commitment to serving Him. We have to be about making sure that our lives are in tune with God. And we're becoming more and more like Him through discipleship, through uh, other things, not just studying in a book, but actually doing the things that we're supposed to be doing. Forgiving others having a love for God that, that causes us to, to hate when sin rears its ugly head in our life. And clinging to Him rather than clinging to that sin. Allowing God to dwell within us. Amen. So then we can be fruitful. We, can be, uh, we, we need to get those things right with God. And then God, Jesus says, anything's possible. All the impediments to you producing fruit, of this church producing fruit for the kingdom of God will be eliminated. You'll be able to just cast all those things. You get all these things in order, then there'll be nothing to keep you from serving God. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, we pray that You'd help us as we seek to go about Your work and as we seek to serve You not just simply to go through the motions, not just to simply look like we're being the kind of people that You've called us to be, but rather actually doing the things that You want. Of being the, the people that are about Your task of producing fruit, of reaching lost souls, ministering to those who are in need, of living according to Your desire. Lord, help us to be fruitful. Help us to multiply and, and to share the gospel with others. Allow Your Spirit to work in their life in and through our words and our actions that You might bring in lost to Your kingdom. We might be useful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.